Welcome back to the FKT Podcast brought to you by Merrill Test Lab. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today we're chatting with the prolific FKTer Christoph Tuscher about his recent Iceland North-South Traverse, Unsupported. Join us as we chat about dealing with weather that literally changes every five minutes, the unique challenges of going unsupported, and how to handle a sub-Arctic desert traverse. Thank you so much, Christoph, for coming on the show today to talk about your Iceland North-South Traverse, your unsupported FKT on that. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. It's such a unique route. I would love it if you could start out by describing the North-South Traverse for our listeners. Yeah, so essentially it starts at the northernmost lighthouse and then it follows all kinds of roads and trails and about close to short of just short of 600 kilometers. And I think the route was initially introduced and first completed by Quinlan and Baker, I believe, 2019. And it has some variants, but basically it's it's not a straight line, obviously, but it, yeah, it goes through all the interior of Iceland follows most of the very interesting terrain, glaciers, volcanoes, you name it. One of the interesting areas that uh, you mentioned in your report, uh, now that you mentioned it goes through a wide variety, was that you did a 40-mile water carry in a desert section. And I don't know about most people, but desert is definitely not the first thing I think of when I think of Iceland. So can you tell us about this this desert, this 40-mile water carry, uh, what that's like? And so there is a, a pretty large part in the in the sort of like northern part that is, well, people call it desert, but it's sand, rocks, volcanic, you know, landscapes where there is just, there's no water, nothing. And so there's about a 40-mile stretch that I had to carry water on. Between basically between two huts, there was a hut that I didn't know that rangers were actually placing water there, but I don't think that's even really part of the unsupported spirit, right? You're supposed to be drinking from from natural sources, and as you get closer to some of the bigger um, glaciers, then you basically hit more more rivers again. But it's a pretty significant uh, stretch that yeah has zero water. It's just really really dry. You can see sheep. They must be running a long, long ways to get water. Oh wow! Um, I was I was reading up a little bit. They they need a gallon of water per day, basically. And I I was always thinking, well, where do they get their water? But they must be just walking miles and miles and miles a day, where they they know some secret water sources that I wasn't aware of. There were uh, there, there are options for some detours. I think you could uh, shorten that stretch, that forty mile stretch without water, by doing some detours. But that was pretty much just a straight shot. So. I was really lucky because it was fairly cold, quite rainy as well. So I didn't need a lot of water, but I was worried about that part quite a bit. Yeah, that's a that's a huge challenge, especially in the middle of like an unsupported effort. Yeah. I'm not actually sure if a publicly placed cache is allowed under the unsupported because you can take water from like a public faucet, like a water spigot, as long as right. it's available yeah, yeah. to everyone. So I'm not really actually sure about the cache. That's interesting. An interesting yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Question, yeah. especially in circumstances like that where there's no natural water. Where is so. nothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't sure. Anyway, I didn't even go to that hut, but the ranger told me later that right they they place canisters of water there. So. Right. I mean, especially when you're doing unsupported, it's better not to know about 
yes. options uh, that like yeah, might have yeah, existed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just did a, an unsupported FKT and like there was a bunch of trail magic like at four different road crossings in a row and oh, all yeah. the people coming the other direction kept telling me about it. Uh-huh. I was like, stop telling uh, yeah, me. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, stop it. Like, yeah. I yeah, can't yeah. have it. Stop telling me about it. Well, then I don't. <laughs> there was one day, I, there was terrible fog. The whole day I couldn't see more than 100 feet. And suddenly at night, there's this Jeep coming out of the fog with a family. And they opened the window and, and you know, handed me, wanted to hand me like a, a uh, a box of cookies and hot tea and I'm like oh. I can't take this uh, and I had to explain that like I'm doing this unsupported thing and they go I really like you can take it and I was like no I can't take it it was like one of these moments where you just, uh, yeah, I had to be really it's the yeah. test it's the test yeah. from the universe yeah, it's the test exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. well uh, subarctic desert aside um, you're no stranger to FKTs in these type of conditions uh, especially since you just set two FKTs simultaneously in Greenland last year on their Arctic Circle Trail. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the unique challenges to travel in these environments like Iceland and Greenland? And also, I'd be kind of curious how these two efforts compared. Because they're actually a li- they're similar, I would assume, in some ways, right? In some ways, yeah. I think yeah, it was very similar climate-wise, somewhat also terrain-wise, I mean, the Arctic Circle Trail is an actual trail, but it's very soft. It was very boggy. I, I had wet feet like nonstop. There was no, there was no dry period at all. That wasn't the case in Iceland, but they still have this tundra, like you know, soft, wet kind of terrain that I find you know hard because you can't really train on that, or I don't train on that usually. And same for Alaska when you go into the soft tundra kind of thing where it's just. It's a movement that I'm not used to, so I think Greenland was really good, good training for that. But then the weather is the other sort of aspect. It's just you know, if you know Scotland or or, or England or Ireland, right? It's just you know, every five minutes is different, and 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 the locals they you know they tell you if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, and and really it's like that. So you're constantly changing layers, and you're wet, and then you're too hot, and it's yeah, it's just back and forth, and. And it's it you know it also goes to the extreme. So I had you know two days where it was just too hot for myself. I was like telling myself I didn't come to Iceland to to run in shorts and run like overheat, and then you have to deal with the flies and whatnot if there's no wind. And so that was one extreme. But then on the other hand, I had like freezing fog and like my pants were like frozen. Oh wow! And so you get these extremes, or it's just pouring rain for more than a day and you're soaking wet and you don't know what to do because my tent wasn't really made for for that much rain and I didn't have enough layers. So, you know, I had that I think in Greenland as as well as in Iceland. So the climate really is, is quite is quite similar in that in that sense. Uh, but Iceland was somewhat I mean there were much more roads. Um those interior roads are called F roads. It's just that gravel gravel road more or less well maintained some you can barely see them others are, are fairly well maintained and it was okay to move on those some of them had like these huge gravel you know it's just horrible to walk on because there's no flat surface at all some were really soft there was soft sand looked quite a lot and again that's sort of a movement i'm not really training usually on sand but if you're if you have a heavy pack and you have to move on on, on soft sand that really puts strain on on muscles and parts of your body that you're not, or I'm 
usually not really trained for that sort of thing. So that definitely was a challenge. Yeah. I don't even like sand with a light pack. <laughs> like, there's so much loss of momentum in that. The river crossings is the other thing that, well, I knew about them and the rangers were actually quite worried about, about me. They kind of looked at me like, oh, this guy's is too small for these river, <laughs> river crossings. I mean, these forests can be, can be like one meter 50 like water and, and some of these super jeeps have trouble getting through. And there's many river crossings you just can't cross as a human and and thankfully, I made some good decisions. Sometimes the road is actually worse than the trail. When you have a trail, sometimes there's a little bridge, but the cars and have to go through the fords. Especially in the southern part, I you know I there were some shortcuts I, I considered taking, and I think it, I could have shaved off like half a day at least. But then suddenly you end up by the river that you have to cross or for, and it may be okay if the water is low. But the rangers were telling me that there's. Because it was so warm, the snow melt was was bad, or the ice melt was bad, and so the the water levels were really really high. And those rivers rivers were raging. For every shortcut I didn't take, I was very glad I didn't take them. Because whenever I got to the bridge, I I was like, oh my god, I could never have crossed that river. And then you'd have to go, you know, back half a day or whatever. So it was just not worth the risk of trying to cross these rivers. Anyway, that in the Arctic Circle Trail didn't have that sort of like river crossing, but that's definitely a challenge in Iceland. So you've mentioned being too hot. You've mentioned high river levels because of the heat. Heat is definitely not my thought when I'm thinking of Iceland. So what were the temperatures you were experiencing, like the highs and the lows? Like what were the extremes? I, I think it was it was almost eighties in the eighties. I mean, I was wearing shirts and short and, and like sweating. Whoa. Yeah, it was bad. And there was no wind too. And and so I was like, it's just Unbelievable, yeah. I, I almost didn't pack shorts, and, and I was glad I had some shorts. But I didn't have enough sunscreen, for example. Oh, yeah. on that much sun because everybody was like, oh, it's just going to be raining. And it was. I mean, there was, at the end, I, I had more rain than I wanted, and I really struggled to be dry. Well, I basically, at the end, I had all my all my layers were, were wet. I had my emergency layers and you know how that goes when you have to sleep somewhere and, and you have to get it up and like get into all all wet layers. It's just highly unpleasant. <laughs> and and so I had that a couple of times. I mean, it wasn't a disaster, but I think that's that's a huge challenge in Iceland when it's pouring rain. You have to be able to dry, be dry and warm in some way and safe as well because you know, temperatures can drop quite quite quickly and when the wind picks, that's a huge, that's a huge challenge. And I really struggled over that last pass. That's, you know, it's a famous trail that is, is people go a lot. It's only like 22 kilometers or so, but it goes, it goes high up. Well, high up for Iceland standards, like a, a thousand meters, I think. Um, but it was, it was night. It was terribly fogged and I was still wet from the previous day. And, and I really struggled with navigation. I struggled to stay warm. I struggled with everything I could possibly struggle and you have to cross these glaciers and it was just one of these moments where, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just not much room for error. Anyway, yeah, I didn't have snow. It, it snowed higher up at, uh, on one day, but it didn't snow lower, thankfully. So the rangers were telling me that I was actually quite lucky with the weather, that it was warmer than, much warmer than usual. Right. It could have been a lot worse, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so at the end there when, you know, everything was wet and it was cold and foggy, were you, did you basically have to just keep moving in order to stay warm? Yep. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think even that's the 
I guess there's no way you can stay dry, basically. Even with the best gear, at some point, it's just going to be wet. And so it's more about being comfortable with being wet. And so moving and moving is definitely the best strategy, I think, in that case. But you still have to eat. And, you know, I didn't have a stove, for example, so I didn't have any warm meals. I had my cold soaked Ziploc meals. And that's another issue. I mean, that is, you're taking quite a bit of risk, I think, in that sort of climate when you can't have a hot meal. If something goes really wrong and, and you have to wait, and then that could become an issue. And I, I think I got lucky with that. But I, I wasn't ready to carry it a stove and but I guess with the stove the other issue is that you actually have to stop and you have to set it up and if it's windy it's always an issue so uh, yeah I played that gamble to some extent. Did you utilize do they have a hut system? I know Greenland does. Did you utilize any of the huts for inclement weather? No I didn't. I, I guess I could have but in the parks you have to either sleep in the hut or next to the hut there's like designated campsites. And so uh, a couple of times I, I slept next to a hut basically in my tent. And some of the huts were occupied. Some of them you have to reserve and pay. And, and so, yeah, I stayed out of them. I basically yeah, came next to them if I had to, uh, if I was in a national park or a nature reserve. You just have to stay with these, in these designated places. So that adds a bit of complexity to, to the, for your planning because you can't, in certain places you can't, camp while you have to be in a camp in a campground of some sorts or next to a hut uh how much daylight did you have i'm kind of curious so you were there in august yeah lots i only i had a way too many batteries i only used one set of batteries for the whole trip so the sun set about 10 30 ish but then it stayed it stayed it was still i could do another hour at least without a headlamp and then at three you could see the horizon towards four o'clock. It was, yeah, I could turn off my handle. And I think this race was like five, two, it was just past five o'clock or so. So there still was a lot of daylight. And I think that would be great. And if you would do it in July, you wouldn't even need a headlamp. You could just go with that. Right. But it, you know, it starts basically the northmost lighthouse is like 80 meters from the Arctic circles. So you have a lot of light there for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't need a lot of headlamp uh, batteries at all. Um, one set would have been enough. Did you pretty much maximize your daylight? Were you hiking all the daylight hours that you could? Like, How much were you sleeping? I tried. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always that. How long can you make it into the night? So I, I actually slept a little more than I usually do. I usually got, I got like five, sometimes even I think six hours. I could definitely have done less but I was also thinking, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want this to be like a complete suffer fest. Definitely- like where you're like that. And, and, and I was reading your report about the PCT. I mean, you slept like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, like two or three it's hours. Insane. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't do that. So I slept quite a bit, but I usually, I usually move till 10 o'clock or so. And then I set up camp and then my alarm always went off at two o'clock. So I got up, got up early and then I, I like, you know, I usually like the early morning hours. I don't mind moving in the dark at all. And it, it was, especially on these days when it was like sunny, that I, I really enjoyed these like before <laughs> three o'clock hours where it's like cool-ish. And so that was sort of my strategy, yeah. 
go to bed rather early. Not I didn't go deep into the night usually, and then just got up really early. I I didn't adjust much with respect to the weather. If it was raining, it was just pouring basically all day, all night, and so it didn't really matter when I got up. Well, except no, actually once I w- I was waiting a little bit for the rain to stop, uh, but I I think that was only one. Yeah. Yeah, there, I don't know. I think I definitely prefer that hiking into the morning. Like, there's something nicer about like that getting up super early and then it's getting lighter as you're hiking instead of like walking deeper into the night. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, by eight o'clock, you've already done like whatever, fifteen miles. Right. <laughs> it kind yeah. of feels good too. Yeah. Yeah. By the time my brain kind of wakes up and comes to terms with the fact that it's a new day, I'm like, oh, I've already logged so many miles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, like a thousand meters was was high. I mean, I looked at all your photos, and you know, it looked pretty flat. Like, what was the elevation gain lost uh, for this for this hike? Do you know the overall total? I forgot. Well, it was it was over thirty thousand. Still, I mean, yeah, it is it is quite flat, but still, it goes up and down. And there's not much flat, but there's no big climbs for sure. And all these volcanoes are actually pretty flat. They're, yeah, they look like flat hats, but they're super expanded. Uh, for miles and miles and miles, you follow a glacier. And, you know, in Europe, you would see it, it will be like steep mountains. But the Icelandic sort of like glaciers are much, much flatter. So I don't know what the highest uh, peak is they have, but uh, all these glaciers are, yeah, it's not like I'm looking at the map. They're, they're not not very high at all. Um, uh, it's I forget what the high point of the route was. It wasn't that pass, I believe. It was something before, but the last pass was just over over thousand meters. But then again, you're 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 going down to sea level, right? Most of the things are up and down from sea level. So anyway, yeah, I, I think it was just somewhere between thirty and forty thousand feet of climbing. Nothing nothing crazy at all, but. Right, but not completely but still, flat. Still, also not not quite flat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hilly, I would say. A lot of these gravel roads, they go through these hills, and there's nothing really flat-ish. It just goes up and down, up and down. Yeah. One of the things I noticed uh, when you were uh, in your write-up about the trip was that you started noticing like your your pants weren't fitting about halfway through. Uh, that you had you were really not consuming enough food enough calories but you took 10 days of food and it only took you like eight to do this so like did you really at some point you were ahead of schedule on like oh boy i can eat more or did you kind of just stick to the pre-planned amount throughout the whole thing just in case i yeah i was very conservative at the beginning because i didn't know what what could possibly happen and i was glad i was i i I forget which day I started to eat into my my reserves, where I, I felt comfortable that I could finish, you know, within eight or nine days or so that I could, you know, eat my my ten day uh, reserves. But you know, then I was thinking, well, what if, right? You know, you could be stuck somewhere, and there was actually a river where there were three other hikers. They tried over an hour to cross that river, and it was really raging because it was raining all day. And we could have been stuck there, right? I mean, the rain didn't stop, so if, if there were no way to cross that river, maybe you know I could have. You never know. You could have to wait like a day or two, or or even just a night until the water 
goes down a bit the next morning. So I was just, you know, going through these scenarios like, what if, right? And it's always good to have some reserves. So I, I, I was quite reluctant to eat into my reserves. But at the end, I did because I didn't have enough calories. Um, I think I, I had 4,500 calories, which usually is okay. But I, I think I went to bed every night with being hungry and not, I didn't really have enough. And uh, I think Eli last year, he took only like 3,000 or something. You know, I've seen some of these PCT records. I One of the guys was just doing liquid calories like for 10 days. Yeah. I couldn't, I could never do that. I need solid food. I don't think <laughs> I could eat. I mean, I say food. I don't think I could, but maybe I could. But yeah, I know Will Peterson know. did that yeah. for the long trail. And I'm just like, no, I want to chew on something. <laughs> anyway, I definitely had a lot of solid food, um, but it wasn't quite enough. And uh, yeah, I definitely lost, I lost uh, quite, quite some pounds. Yeah. And yeah, for day four or five, my, I didn't, yeah, my pants were starting to fall down and it was yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you have a way to keep them up? Because unsupported, you can't go buy a belt. Yeah, I didn't wear the belt because usually I get chafing with a belt. And so I, I didn't wear it at the beginning, but I thankfully I carried it. So I, I had to use it at the end. Uh, yeah, so that wasn't a big problem. It is a deficit sport. So I think that's, you know, has to be expected that you will lose some weight. But I didn't want to starve. So I, I, I carried what I thought was was a reasonable amount of calories. I think I could have done with less, but then you, you're getting into that sort of suffering zone where you don't know what you're doing and suddenly you're feeling really weak and you have pushing issues because your blood sugar is not, is not up to uh, the challenge. So I, I, yeah, I wasn't ready for like crazy suffer fest. Uh, so that, I think I mentioned that in my report, there's, there's definitely room to improve a lot, right? I mean, you could take a lot more risk. You can, you know, suffer more. You can easily shave off a day, I think. I, I think actually you can beat the self-supported time. I wouldn't say easily, but it's definitely within range. Um, I mean, I was, I guess, about a day slower, I think. Had you been to Iceland before? Was this... You know, sight unseen, you just went for the FKT. No, I went a couple of times. And this spring I went for, for a recon trip, basically. I, I I I went and checked out some parts of the trail just to get a feel. I mean, it, yeah, you know, I didn't do that with, with the Arctic Circle Trail. There's always surprises. I mean, of course, there were still surprises in the Iceland because I didn't see all the things. But I had a decent idea what I would would see, not of the entire interior Um yeah, I was, you know, you can't really go there unless you have one of these super jeeps or you, you hike in. I sort of saw the both ends and, and that was helpful. I mean, just more like confidence perhaps. Yeah, you said there were still some surprises. So what what surprised you about your Iceland Traverse? I mean, the scale of the landscapes is just, it's unbelievable. And it, it's, yeah, it's part of the magic, I guess. And, and I'm yeah, still not quite used to self but of these just massive landscapes where you have, you see this black sand like forever. And I think the fog really added to, to sort of like the magic of the scenery where you feel like there's no end to that landscape and you're just going through fog and yeah, sand and whatnot. But also the variety. I mean, it's just, you, you kind of get everything. Desert, no plants, nothing. Well, I shouldn't say no plants. It's actually su- surprising how many of these survival plants grow 
than nothing, it seems. Um, but still, like desert, you know, water, and then you get more to the southern part where you have like, you know, the volcanic vents and smells like rotten eggs for hours and green everywhere, or like, you know, these colorful hills, like painted hills on steroids, I keep saying. It's just an incredible variety. No trees, I should say. And that sort of makes it, it makes it difficult to judge distances. I mean, there's some bushes of some sorts. And if there's trees that are very small, they look small, they look young, but they're actually, they can be really, really old. They just grow very, very slowly. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no forest. And so I think that was another big surprise, right? You're not just going to be, I mean, there's a joke, like if you get lost in an Icelandic forest, what are you going to do? Well, you, you stand up. I like that. That's great. And, and so, yeah, they're, they're really, that, that is, a, if you're used to forests like, you know, Oregon, dense vegetation, right? There's nothing like that. There's really nothing. Yeah. And so that was another big surprise. And of course, all these geothermal things are just, you know, wildly fascinating. <laughs> like you, you come across these bubbling springs and there's like the steam coming out of the ground. I mean, yeah. Super cool, right? There's also a bunch of hot springs. I didn't go into any, just because I didn't have any time to sit in the hot spring. But right, but you could you can you could do hot springs on the way. And um, anyway, yeah, it's just crazy stuff. Yeah, it sounds really, really fascinating, really magical. Very much. Yeah. Kind of circling back a little bit, we were talking about your food and, and ten days of food, and so how much did your pack weigh at the start? Do you know? Did you weigh it? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't weigh mine Actually, before I, the Washington PCT. Either. I was like, I don't want to know. That's that's my take on that. Yeah, I prefer not to know. I know I had 12 pounds of food. Okay. And my base pack is is definitely under 10 pounds. But yeah, it was definitely over 30 pounds, I think. Uh, it, it felt it felt very heavy. Uh, there, yeah, this, well, okay, I carried a tent, uh, which maybe you could get away with that. I I was glad I had one because it was quite rainy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it would be back, but really do the job. So I would definitely carry a tent no matter what. Stove, I didn't have any. I had some, you know, batteries weighed quite a bit. But yeah, it's just the food. I mean, there was 10 days of food. So that's that's the big part. But the good part of that is that the more days you have behind you, the, the lighter your pack is going to be. So that was quite quite fantastic. And really was always looking forward to like, Eating more food, um, yeah, you get the immediate reward of eating, but then exactly, you also get yeah, the long-term yeah. reward of like the pack <laughs> is getting lighter. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was quite nice. Yeah, yeah. I know. In the beginning of your trip report, you mentioned how you know you were able to run and your pack was very heavy, and you were thinking maybe you'd be able to do that as it got later. Towards the end, were you able to run? I try. You know, some downhills, I was sort of like running, but mm -hmm. some of these. Well, the trails, especially over that last pass in the southern part, is very technical. Okay. There wasn't really running. There, there was that horrible road section at the end where it's like 17, what is it, 17 miles paved road with no shoulders, basically. And I was like, okay, I'm going to run a little bit of that. And I tried it. And it wasn't efficient. I, I, I was faster and I think more energy efficient, just fast hiking being consistent instead of like trying to run a mile, then you end up with blisters or whatever it is. But I mean, the pack, it wasn't, 
I mean, it wasn't heavy anymore, but I could have shortened. Yeah, I could have run more, but I didn't know. I, I ended up running very, very little. And again, I think this is something that, you know, um, there's room for improvement. You could, again, you could, you know, just a day less food means, you know, a couple of pounds less pack weight. So you could run sooner. Yeah. And yeah, again, you could definitely shave off several hours by running more. Right. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the roads? They feature quite prominently in your yeah. your trip recap. Um, yeah. I mean, it, paved roads for me is sort of like it's almost the worst. I mean, I it's just, okay. You can move efficiently, but it wasn't just the road. I wouldn't have, I would have been okay with the road, but it was also the traffic. I mean, there was of the, there's two parts that were on the ring road. The ring road is the main road that goes around the island. Everybody drives on that ring road. Lots of tourists, mostly rental cars, lots of RVs, lots of, you know, badass four-wheel drive, super Jeeps kind of things. No shoulders. So I had to constantly hop off the road and, you know, get into that sort of like shoulder grassy kind of part because people were not making room. Sometimes for good reasons because there was traffic, right? They couldn't couldn't really move away. But often there was no car on the other side. And they just wouldn't move over. They were just like they didn't give me any room and, and it was just I had to really be attentive and I almost got hit once when a car was passing and got into my lane. I was, you know, walking against traffic. So everybody could see me. And this car was packed. I could only hear like a motor like behind me. And I stepped, thankfully I stepped aside because I felt like something's going on behind my back. And this car, I guess, didn't see me at all. And, and it was just really into my lane. I would have hit me if I hadn't stepped aside. So anyway, I just had to be very, very careful. And it was, it wasn't easy moving because I had to constantly step off the road. And so that was yeah, annoying at best. Anyway, there was there's no solution to that. I think there's just especially in the southern part, really there's road. Sometimes there was sort of a gravel road beside the road, you know, farming road kind of thing that I could use for you know, half a mile or two or so. But still it was a it was a long stretch that I was dreading. Basically the whole traverse, I was like thinking, Oh my god, this is gonna be horrible on that road. And then it was Sunday afternoon, basically we're you know, I guess it was the worst traffic. Everybody was either coming from or going to Reykjavik. Right. The bad. Anyway, then you turn off for the going to that lighthouse. I thought, well, once I turn off the ring road, I'll be fine. This is going to be less traffic. But it was actually worse. The road was more narrow and there was more traffic because everybody went to that lighthouse. It was quite fantastic view. So it was even worse. The last five miles were really terrible. It's just like, oh my God. So plan your FKT to not be on the ring road on the weekend. No, I was I was so thinking hard about how could I, you know, plan this so that I have to, you know, I can do this at night. I was even considering like sleeping, but then I was like, oh no, I just need to get this done. I can't wait and sleep. I mean, yeah, the best solution would really to be uh, doing these road parts at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, timing didn't work out and I wasn't ready to wait. Yeah, I mean... A couple of hours, yeah. Yeah, at a certain point, you reach that. Yeah, you're like, I, I don't care what happens, how bad it's terrible, how terrible it is, I just want it to be over. Like, I'm not... 
not stopping anymore. Yeah. So what what percentage, I mean, approximately of this route is on a road or on paved roads, maybe? At least 50 miles, probably maybe even more. I don't know. I didn't add up all the road section. Well, the last, no, the last section was like 17 miles, I think. There was one. No, it's probably less, actually. There was one in between, another section on the ring road in the northern part, and then a road section along the coast. That wasn't, well, I forgot how long that was. It felt like it, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like it, yeah. Right. I read some trip reports of folks who went cross-country to avoid these road sections. I, it's not impossible, but it will be a lot slower. That's for sure. I, I think there is really the fastest the fastest way to get this done is on the roads, on these paved roads. Um, but yeah, you could you could avoid them, but you would you would go through quite difficult terrain. So, were the roads the biggest challenge, or was it the weather, or was it something else? I don't know. You know, it's always hard to say what if there was there one thing, one big challenge. No, I think it was a variety. I mean, the roads to me, that's more like a mental thing, right? Okay, as I said, you have to pay attention, or I had to pay attention. But the moving is is quite efficient, as opposed to like a sandy, whatever. But you know, roads feel like oh, it's never ending. It hurts and whatnot. No, I mean the roads. Sure, they're pretty high up in my list of like terrible things <laughs> for that traverse. The weather too. I mean, you can dress for the weather, but as I said, you get wet, and that was wet. But yeah, that also is quite high up. Uh, the flies are quite high up. I mean, they're they don't bite actually. They don't sting. But there's, I guess I I would say thousands of flies around your head, and it just drives you nuts. I mean, I had this head net which I lost. <laughs> um, yeah, there was this day, there was a there was a day with no wind and I had this headed on all day. And then that night when I was looking for a campsite, uh, it started, there started, uh, a crazy wind started and, and I had to go much further to find a spot where uh, I was somewhat sheltered. And I, I just put my hand that sort of like over my, and then it, it blew off and I didn't realize it. So I lost it and I'm like, oh my God, if there's another day with no wind and these flies, I'm, I'm going crazy. And I was really worried. But then the next day there was wind and zero flies. I never needed the head net again. Well, that's so pretty I, lucky because I, I saw felt, the pictures yes, where the flies were just like all around you. Oh my God. That I just looked like they fly, yeah. torture. <laughs> they drive you nuts. They fly into your ears, your nose, like. Yeah. They don't do anything. They just really bother you because they're like all over. Just, you can, you just can harassing. barely eat. Yeah. yeah, it's just harassing. Yeah. And the funny part is if you lay down, if you take a nap, zero flies. Really? It's like they don't, yes, it's it's amazing. And I I wasn't the only one huh. noticing that. Um, so yeah, nap, zero flies. You, you stand up and they're all over you. Weird. Very strange, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Something. But anyway, I got really lucky with that head net. So, um, yeah, it sounds like yeah. it. <laughs> if you're going to lose a piece of gear, I would not choose the head net. <laughs> yes. But luckily yeah. for you, it's well, not worked yeah. out. So, head net is uh, the flies are pretty high up to, I guess, the heavy pack is also. I had some serious shoulder issues. Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I trained, I tried to train for the heavy pack, but you know, it's heavy and it's just, I can't get rid of it. So at the beginning, the first, you know, 
three, four days were were just painful because the pack was so heavy. And so that's also high up on my list of sort of like things I didn't like. But but I, I can't think of any, you know, surprise or like big thing I didn't really know about. Yes, I was, there was no like bad big surprise. That, and I guess that was good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was good, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, could you talk maybe a little bit about some of the unique challenges or aspects of doing something like this unsupported versus self-supported where you can resupply yeah. along the way? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think for for me, you, it means the margin of error is very small or much smaller than self-supported. If you don't pack enough caffeine pills or you don't have enough tape there is no way to correct for that right you can't just go to a store and like oh my god let me buy whatever right i need some duct tape or whatever my pole broke and i need to fix that or i'm gonna buy a new pole no you just you have what you what you have in your pack and you really have to live with that and i think that is somewhat beautiful and it's it is definitely challenging because you have to nail your gear kit you have to nail your nutrition um I mean, I, you know, I, I kept thinking, not on this adventure, but before, like, what, what if I lose my spoon, right? All my meals are like, you know, spooning out of Ziploc bag. Right. If I lose my spoon or my spoon breaks, well, that's pretty bad. So I was like, I carried an extra spoon just because I thought like, okay, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I can't drink all my meals. So that's just one of, ex one of these examples where like, you have to, sort of go through these scenarios like what could possibly happen if I lose this piece of gear, if I lose my knife, if I lose the spoon, if I lose X, Y, Z, I lose my lipstick or my sunscreen or whatever it is, right? There's, you have to live with that. So can you finish if X, Y, Z happens? And and I, I, I play these scenarios a lot. And I think it's also sort of like part of, I guess, the experience. The more you do these sorts of things, the more you realize, oh my God, if I lose this, like I'm really screwed. And then you, the next time you, you plan ahead and you, you pack something, you know, extra perhaps a little bit, but it's a fine line, right? You can't, you can't address every contingency or, or, you know, plan for every, every possible scenario. So, and I really like that about the unsupported uh, adventures because you have to navigate that fine line right between packing too much and not enough and that line can be quite fine uh, again it's not just calories right it's layers it's gear it's like a everything and, and so that makes it i think that is a really uh additional challenge it requires a lot more planning i think you need to have some perhaps more experience I like spreadsheets, so I have a lot of them. I think I can rely on some of the previous experiences. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but still, you're sort of trying to, you know, take as much of the uncertainty away and make it as certain as you can, knowing that there's still a lot of uncertainty in, in every aspect. Um, and also, people have different risk tolerances, in terms of, you know, calories or things that can possibly go wrong. Um, I don't know. I guess that's very personal. How many days you could, you know, starve yourself, right? Do you want to have two days of reserves or just one or nothing? You're going to be able to stretch and go without calories for 
two days. I don't know. I can't do that. Right? I mean, that, some people ask me sometimes these things, but all I can say is I, I you know, this is very personal. Um, how you react to not having food or not having water. I mean, that's another example. Right? How much water do you want to carry? Well, I don't know. I don't know how much you drink. And so that's something you have to figure out for yourself and depends on the weather. Anyway, yeah, I, I really enjoy the unsupported yeah. stuff for that reason. And it also, you know, it simplifies many things because you don't have to sync the store hours, you know, wait in front of a gas station. Then you get there and they don't have food you'd like to buy or right or you have to wait a night until they open or a post office or whatever so i like that independence because you can just move and do your things and you don't depend on anything else yeah yeah it's an interesting juxtaposition of like removing options and simplifying your hike but also complicating it and forcing you to be more self reliant and resilient and problem solve in ways you wouldn't otherwise have to. It's it's very unique. Yeah, yeah. I think you I didn't mention that, but the problem solving and adapting to new situations, unforeseen circumstances that I think that's another skill you have to have. The longer the more the something's gonna happen, right? Something's gonna break, something's gonna not go according to plan. You may have to do a detour and you know, having an ability to reroute yourself. I mean, that's in itself, I think, a skill. Okay, you may have your track and you may have a map of your route. But what if you can't cross that river, right? Can you find an alternative route? Can you do that on the fly? Do you have a map to figure out what you have to do? Or just, you know, bailing out it. That's another example. I think I learned that the hard way, right? Well, it's one thing to have a map of your route, but what if you have to bail and you don't know where to go and you just have your narrow, like, you know, corridor where you wanted to go, but now you have to figure out an escape of some sorts. And well, if you don't have the right maps or tools or capabilities, then you're, you're in trouble. And so, yeah, that's another, I guess, another aspect sort of like safety and can you take care of yourself and can you survive, you know, a day or two? With losing your pack, right? Worst case, you fall into a river, you you lose your backpack, you have nothing, right? You're there wet, soaking wet. Maybe you have an inreach on your body. Maybe not. Maybe you have nothing, right? Could you survive? Do you have a lighter that you could make a fire with even though there's no wood in Iceland? Right? You will, you'll be in serious trouble very, very quickly. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's just interesting scenarios to play through. And- right, for sure. Um, a couple more questions. Why did you choose to go north to south direction wise? Is that just because that's what had been done before? No. Well, there's sort of, yeah, I think it was logistical mostly. Um, I think I would do it again though. I was thinking about, you know, the, so the, the biggest elevation gate is in the south. So I was thinking, I don't want to do that with the heavy pack. Okay. Mm-hmm. The northern part is is a lot. It's mostly flat. So I was like, okay, I can, you know, do flat with a heavy pack. So that was one of the decisions. But then logistically with the rides I had to arrange and whatnot, it felt more like going home also and going north to south. Okay. Um, And so psychologically that was also, I guess, somewhat, somewhat a factor. But yeah, really the... The key part or the key decision factor was was the elevation gate. 
Okay, that you makes look sense. at the elevation profile, most of the most of the gains in the seven part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of had the opposite strategy when I did the state of Washington. I did the hard part first because I wanted to get okay. it out of the way. And, oh, interesting. You know, and then I was just like, well, when I get further south, I had the same thought of like, oh, maybe I'll be able to run, <laughs> which I was not able to run. But I was like, my pack will be lighter and the, the terrain is easier, so I'll run. Didn't happen, but yeah, it is kind of interesting how you how you make these decisions sometimes, and how well they play yeah. out in actuality. <laughs> Somewhat irrational sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I think I would do it again though, north to south. It, it, I think it was a good decision. So the one other thing that stood out to me when I was reading your trip report and looking through all your pictures was that despite the heavy pack and all the wet and road miles, your feet looked really good at the end. So. <laughs> Did yeah. you have a specific like regimen to take care of them or did or your feet just kind of indestructible and like you didn't have to do anything special? No, no, I I I, I have a regimen. Um well, you know, I guess that's another thing to well, that's not easy or not hard to realize. Like if your feet fail you <laughs> and you're done, right? I mean, there's not much you can do. So I take a lot of effort and time to take care of my feet. Um, I had a bunch of different socks. Whenever I crossed the river, I would usually, you know, try to dry those, these socks on my pack and put on a dry uh, set of socks. Um, I use either Desitin or, or Haikagu quite frequently. If I see like, you know, there's like, you know, I get like um, trench foot of some sorts. Um, I definitely use some cream of some sorts or um, at night often I use... Um, uh, what's it, baby powder, um, to really dry them. So yeah, I, I've, it's a variety of things uh, that I, I guess, use or techniques that I use to really take care of my feet. Uh, I, you know, I don't like blisters. I got some blisters, but I, there's lots you can do. And I, you know, might, I often, you know, people always tell me like, oh, you stop a lot. And there's always something you, you, you have to address. And, and that is true. But but those things don't usually go away. If you don't stop, right, you can go another 10 miles, fine, but then it's just going to be worse. Right? I mean, my I think my approach is like whatever whatever I can do, I'll just do it, even if it's, you know, I mean, stopping every mile. But if I have a foot issue of some sorts or something bothers me or something is chafing, it's not just going to disappear. So I might as well just stop and do whatever I can do. So yeah, whatever I can tape, I tape. Whatever I can, you know, if I can, you know, supply some hiker goo or or baby powder, and it, it makes my life better, and I can move more efficiently, and it doesn't have long term consequences, and I, my feet look good at the end. Well, I, I'll do it. I'll, I'm I'm you know happy to stop for five minutes to do that. <laughs> I think the longer you go, the more important that is. If it's just a three day thing, okay, you can. Your strategy may be different because you can afford to have perhaps more damage. But I think, especially with wet feet, at some point there's just no, there's no point, of, there's no return, right? When when you when you get your trench feet and your skin is just peeling off, then what? Well, you just don't want to get to that point. And if there's lots of water crossings, what? Well, I I I didn't use waterproof socks here, but I used a lot in on the Arctic Circle Trail. You know, they're not really waterproof, they, but they do help to some extent. Uh-huh. But yeah, anyway, this, there's no magic pill, but you can definitely 
keep your feet healthy and, right. and somewhat somewhat in good in good state. Yeah, I definitely learned that the hard way on this last one. I've never really had issues with my feet. Okay. And I think it was just like the heavy pack and, and there was a heat wave going on and my shoes didn't hold up. My feet, oh my God, I've never suffered. Oh, really? With foot. Wow. Pain, like I did doing the Washington PCT and I mean, hobbling, hobbling pain. You know, you're talking about if your feet fail. It was definitely like, yeah, very bad. So I was just like, wow, okay, this is a an experience I don't ever want to repeat. And you said, you know, gave me a yeah. I mean, there were just some things that were outside of my control. And again, when it's unsupported and things go wrong, you're limited to what you got with you. And you know, I knew what I needed to do to fix it, and I did not have those things with me. <laughs> so it was just like you know, there is a that is an interesting aspect to unsupported for sure. Like when. Especially when you know what you need and you can't get it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. That's no good. Yeah. Yeah. But the pack weight is, yeah, I didn't mention that. I'm glad you bring that up. But it has a huge effect on your feet. Yes. But there's blisters. I, I never get blisters in certain spots. Only when I carry a heavy pack, suddenly, you know, my gait may be different. You get different pressure points. And, and you know, it's an additional 30 or 40 pounds in that. That's, and it, comp- that's quite it compresses your yeah. shoes differently too. Like yep. that was something well, yeah, I experienced yeah. that I didn't think about. And like my shoes yeah. really packed out, you know, and, and then that impacted how my feet felt and blistering and things like that. So yeah, it is. It's interesting that you think about with the heavy pack, like, oh, I'm going to be more tired or it's going to hurt my shoulders or, you know, you kind of think about that, but that it all goes down to the feet. And that was something, you know, I didn't really think through fully before I started out. So yeah, your feet are... The feet are ground zero, literally, <laughs> or everything. Did you only have one pair of, of shoes? Yeah, I only brought the one pair of shoes. Yeah, and <laughs> they just weren't right. they weren't durable enough. I should have just gotten a better pair of shoes, something that I knew would hold up to the heavier pack weight. And I, I wore a really lightweight pair of shoes that I've worn for 500 miles before, but when I have a pack that weighs no, it's considerably pack, yeah. less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, yeah. That's- yeah. Definitely it's a good example. Yeah. yeah, learning experience. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this. It was really course, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Christoph, for coming on the show. You can see all of his FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com, and follow his adventures on Instagram at christoph.tusher. Thanks again to Merrill Test Lab for supporting the show. Be sure to check out their new Skyfire 2 shoe at merrill.com. Mm-hmm.